Coming up, as Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson break out their FIBA scrimmage form, is it a depressing thing to watch for Brooklyn Nets fans? Plus, could we have one of the all-time versatile defensive groups in the front court this season? We break it all down coming up next. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, sir. It is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. Over there, you're going to find Doug Norrie. He's the owner-operator of DFSR. For all your daily fantasy sports rankings from DraftKings to FanDuel, he's got you covered. I'm Adam Armbrecht, breaking down the New York football giants on the One Giant Podcast and your New Jersey Devils on the Devils Puck Luck Podcast. We thank you for making us your first listen of the day. We are 100% free on all those great platforms. And Doug... We're diving into some action here because as the Nets get into FIBA, Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson specifically, we start to maybe get a sample size of what they could be this upcoming season and some very interesting defensive uh, rankings that Basketball Index put out as well. But, but how are we feeling as the first toe in the water of scrimmage basketball gets underway? Yeah, it's just a scrimmage and it's against Puerto Rico and it's just a tune up for uh, the FIBA stuff that's going to happen later in the summer. But you have to like it. Cameron Johnson moves out of the starting lineup. That's all right. Second most shots in the team. We'll take it, baby. That's all we want to see. That's all we want. It's really encouraging, actually. I, like We'll talk about it a little bit, but this is an elite group of guys. It's It's pretty garden wing heavy. Uh, all, all things considered, if you just look at the if you look at the overall roster, and if you don't know the roster, like they, they started uh, Bridges, Brandon Ingram, Anthony Edwards, Jalen Brunson. I did no order here, and J, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. Triple J, and then off the bench, it's Halliburton, Cameron Johnson, Paolo Bancaro, and then Bobby Portis, Austin Reeves, and Walker Kessler, and then Josh Hart, but he didn't play. So it's like it's a pretty Garden Wing heavy team. But Cameron Johnson like featured really heavily. You figure he's going to going forward, and the stats for him in the first game were good. And this is like the group that you want to see these guys be able to perform with, right? Like it feels pretty good even for a scrimmage. So here's the thing, and we're gonna get into some of the numbers and and positives, specifically around seeing I think Cameron Johnson and Mikhail Bridges playing with a player like Jalen Brunson and what it means to have a, a pure point guard kind of on the court with them as we think forward to maybe some Ben Simmons or Dennis Smith Jr. coming off the bench. But I did have a my, the funny thought that I had just before we started was, is this depressing for Brooklyn Nets fans? Because the reality that you're watching Mikael Bridges and Cameron Johnson play with some of the most talented young guys in the league, the Brooklyn Nets don't have those guys. Like So some of the things that you're going to see from them is going to be very exciting. And then you have to rein it back into, but are they going to have those type of looks when we're playing in Brooklyn? And and you can, you can speculate and get there, but I did just kind of have that rush over me of like, it's like watching an all-star game and going, well, just give me like some LeBron James and Kevin Durant and Kyrie's and put them with Mikhail and Cam. I think we got a real shot here. I'll give you the flip side of it though. Like Nets are the only team that has two guys represented here that actually played minutes, right? So there there's other ways, there's other ways to look at that. I mean, Josh Hart and Brunson are on the same team, but Hart didn't play. So the Nets are, now, look, are, are, they, are they as good as some of these other teams like, you know, Memphis? And, and there's lots of guys that aren't represented here for lots of different reasons. Right. So this yeah. is not um, this is not a good proxy for like how the rest of the league is going to sort of break down. But I will say one Bridges looks really good uh, in this game. Like it's another it's a good reminder for him that he can play with anybody. Yes. Right. Like he can play 
guard heavy, wing heavy, right? Like small, big, like he fits in with everybody. We already kind of knew that. And then, but we also knew that the Nets personnel last season was pretty limited, uh, especially mm-hmm. near the end in terms of just sort of like dynamic offensive presence. Uh, so, so on and so forth. He showed in this, even in this spot of scrimmage and what we're definitely going to see later as the games get more and more serious. Cause some of these other teams, uh, in all, later in August, uh, for sure, brought their are going to bring their brought their A games right. Like yeah. international play is much more important to some degree for some of these other countries. Uh, but then, but but the U.S. brought a, brought a, is going to bring a quality squad. Uh, Bridges, we it's just a reminder he can he's personnel independent. That guy is mm-hmm. going to be able to play with anybody, no matter what. And honestly, watching like some of this game too, Cameron Johnson was starting to look like that also, right? Like you want to get out in open court, you want to get in transition, you want to not, you want to get to the basket. Like we talked in a previous episode about how that was going to be really important for him to show off these layers of the game. Mm-hmm. Not seeing him just be a spot of three guy with this other group where you could definitely start deferring. Yes, is really encouraging. So I know people are going to say, oh, you know, it's just a scrimmage, whatever. Now, nah, man, some of these things do matter. I, like, it matters kind of who you're playing with. I'm really happy these guys are rolling with, the, with this. Yeah, and they're going to have another handful of scrimmages before they get into the games that matter at the end of August. So it's going to be fun to see how they build up as well. And just on Cameron Johnson there, just to your point, in, in this first scrimmage, and a lot of people were saying this, uh, Nets fans are like, but was well, this guy look bigger to you? Like, And, and yeah. a fan accurately pointed out, they go, he's not wearing the T-shirt under the jersey. I was like, this guy's got... This guy got some guns underneath there that I hope he registered before he went to FIBA, but he played so much above the rim. The open court stuff, I think, is what's encouraging. If we're going to squint and think about Ben Simmons being healthy and playing for Brooklyn, that transition game, getting out and spreading the court, when you watch those some of those highlights from the scrimmage, my immediate thought was like, man, how many times did I see Cameron Johnson running the open floor, waiting for an outlet pass over those last 27 games in Brooklyn. And that's why I think it it, it was so exciting, even in a scrimmage, to be like, yes, that does exist. The skill set is there. It's just going to be a matter of the Brooklyn Nets finding ways to create those opportunities. But it is a good sample size and great to see these two guys playing together too because I'll never put down players developing and spending time on more and more chemistry and in new roles for them, right? They were with each other in Phoenix, but these are now new, bigger roles they're going to have in Brooklyn together. And, and if, if you were to look at like for like one area that it's a little bit of a bummer for Nets fans, and I know Nets fans are clamoring for this kind of guy, is like a sort of on-ball dynamic distributor, right? Or a connector in the offense. Halliburton is one of the best in the game, yeah. in the game at this, right? He was, and he showed why he made 12, 12 assists off the bench. Like he can control the fast break. He can control the half court. Like he's just a, you know, a grade a point guard for sure. And Jalen Brunson is also right. So when you have these guys um, and look, it's not like every team has these guys, right? <laughs> like, so it's not like the Nets are the only group without them. But it is a reminder when you see them play with these types of guys, these on-ball creators, these guys who are looking that can beat the first guy off the dribble, which is always so important when you want to be a distributor too. It's not just good enough to have ball movement. Like your point guard has to be able to beat the primary defenders and be able to beat the first layer of defense, right? Um, in order to get assists, like that's really important. And then be able to read and react. The Nets don't have great options like this. I mean, they have guys who can become sort of versions of this, but they're never going to be as good. So if you're going to take one part of, of, you know, where you're maybe looking, you wish the Nets had something else. He's like, Oh, look how great these guys can look when they have this other kind of guy on the roster. Maybe Ben Simmons becomes that. So if you're going to get bummed about it, like get go that direction. But I think overall, yeah, scrimmage, but I think you got to feel pretty good about it. 
Yep, coming up here in a second. Any other closing thoughts we have about this first FIBA game, including, by the way, just other guys on the roster that you think about models of, of players you'd like to see Brooklyn have there to support these two, and then flipping it over to Basketball Index's assertion that the Brooklyn Nets got a lot of value behind Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson, just not necessarily on the offensive end. All right, before we get to that, I'm going to tell you about our good friends over on FanDuel. Football season is about to kick off. FanDuel has given you the chance to win all season long. Wait for this. Right now, if you bet on a Super Bowl winner over on FanDuel, so you're looking all the way ahead to the Super Bowl, you're like, oh, that's months and months away. Don't worry about it. You can get bonus bets every time that team wins during the regular season. You pick your Super Bowl winner, and then they're just going to give you bonus bets along the way. Whenever the team wins, you use the bonus bets on spreads, your player props, over-unders. You can even go over to the preseason right now. We got some preseason action coming up here over the weekend. Our Giants, minus three going into this preseason game. You got to like that. On the other side, Jets, plus three and a half, losers. You know, just <laughs> if we're just looking at preseason right now, FanDuel's giving you all the ways to get into the preseason action and then into the regular season as well. Go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sports book. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Okay, so as we're talking about coming out of the first FIBA scrimmage and then looking ahead to this defensive versatility that I want to touch on, I, the one other player I think was Anthony Edwards that you watch in this yeah. scrimmage. It, it's the first guy that I think about when you look in the you talk about a guy with his size, with his skill set, right? Another kind of missing piece. There's a lot of versions of this, as we had talked about the other day, the length that the Nets have on this team. And Mikhail is a part of that as well, where you want to push him up and away from the backcourt and away from an off ball kind of guard role that we saw sometimes last year. And they lack that as well. So there was something about watching this first scrimmage and thinking, yeah, pure point guard. It could use some of that. Could also use like a bigger backcourt guy that has some physicality, that has real attack at the rim ability and can do it with consistency. Um, well, and you also it, saw, by the way, the combinations with Mikhail. Go ahead. And real quick, it was so funny, too, because when we two, three podcasts ago, I think when we were talking about how the starting lineup was going to be Cameron Johnson. And we were like, ah, Anthony Edwards isn't starting. That's a little weird. <laughs> and then I guess everyone, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, right. I guess everyone in the coaching staff thought the same thing. Cause they were like, Hey, we screwed up and you're start and you're, you're actually going to start like, yeah, that actually makes a lot more sense. <laughs> um, but well, no, I didn't I say anything Look, coach, but I was a little curious. <laughs> Look, these guys are the elite, man. These are like the elite sort of like not super young, but you know, that, that 25 to 27 group right now, or maybe a little younger, yeah. 23 to 27, like that group of elite guys. And yeah, you're always going to look around and the grass is always going to look a little greener with some of these dudes. It's just nice to have some representation too. But yeah, you know, watch an ant run the court with some of these dudes, especially getting above the rim with Brunson. He had a couple, um, couple lobs from Brunson. It oh, was, yeah. they were, they were up and down the court. They were actually losing early in the game too. You're like, what? <laughs> but that, uh, that, that turned, that turned around pretty quickly. Oh, boy. <laughs> Yeah. Check in on that. But well, it's like Tremont. Yeah. It's like Tremont Waters for Puerto Rico, and that was kind of it. Like that was. Yeah. It's like I don't think they can stand to lose this game. This better be. This better be a blow up by the end of it. So the other thing, atypical to a lot of episodes, where we we really dive into one topic from a few different angles. There's a number of different things that actually felt worth bringing up, and it, it does tie into Mikhail Bridges, Cameron Johnson, and what we're going to watch from them over the coming weeks with FIBA. 
and that was something I saw from Basketball Index, who put who put yeah. this out. And I think we always talk about positionless basketball, but then like expanding and defining what are the reasons for, and what are some of maybe the new positions that have been created from it. They had this great glossary. They they listed it as seven now positions on the defensive end of the court when you're trying to define what roles are. An anchored big right in front of the basket, a mobile big that's going to play out towards the perimeter, a point of attack defender, a wing stopper, guys down in the corners, a helper and a low activity, basically a guy that you don't want to have to be guarding anybody, and then a chaser, which you so you could think about like from a Brooklyn Nets standpoint, in the world where you've got this is the weird combination we've talked about before, but Dennis Smith Jr. is your POA. And yeah. maybe Cam Thomas ends up being your chaser because he's one of your lesser successful players, but he's quick, can try to fight over screens, et cetera. And it got interesting because in listing the defensive value and the versatility, isolation defense on the perimeter for the NBA, top rated basketball index, Doug. PJ Tucker, number one. He's old though. He'll be gone soon. Al Horford, number two, also washed. Number three, four, and five, Nicholas Claxton, Ben Simmons, and Darius Baisley. Bang, and bang, it did bang. get me excited. If you think about these guys, if you think about Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson, you probably want to see other names from Brooklyn get listed high on any list, whatever the category is. Yeah, it's great to see. It also lines up with, honestly, kind of something we talked about last episode uh, with Nick Claxton in the center position and sort of what we thought uh, what we thought Brooklyn was sort of trying to build, right? What Sean Marks and company were trying to put together outside of the idea behind a traditional center, right? Like, and the part that I know people have gotten frustrated about in the past is not having some of those traditional guys, not having sort of your legacy kind of rebounding types and, and guys like this, but that if you weren't going to have, if you didn't want to stockpile your roster with those guys who can be very limited, uh, let's remember uh, about who you can play them with that. The next best thing, especially where the nets are now would be to maybe stockpile a bunch of guys who fit into another mold, which is this, which is this mobile big kind of guy. And if you can just throw enough bodies at them this way, that this is how you kind of make up along the margins, the lack of having someone else. And I personally think this is correct. Like I, the reason we've never wanted to see some of these tree root, like sort of centers is that the game is just passing these guys by. Like right. it's just it, it it it's not even passing it's it's passed them by like it's unless you're totally totally elite like interior and even those guys don't get to play tons like they're just kind of negligible until it gets like even go like Rudy Gobert is the most talented center defensive center in the league and even him like come playoff time you're kind of thinking I don't know man <laughs> like hope everything else fits <laughs> right like right. and. So if you're just not going to do it that way, then this is the next way. So to and that's just to throw enough different kinds of bodies out there that all kind of qualify and be ball index. These guys are amazing. Like if you haven't checked out their site, it's definitely worth it. It's like really high level stuff and how they break the game down. Um, and they're totally correct in saying, "Hey, look, gone are the days of point guard shooting our small forward power forward center. It's over. It's over. Like they like now it's best five guys and hope that the graph looks like they have enough of the other skills combined to get it done right and i just think we've been talking about and this isn't new for us man we've been talking about this for years years <laughs> on the podcast about like how we thought the game was trending and this just sort of begins to solidify it and just seeing these names up there it does at least crystallize probably what marks and company are trying to do i don't think it's a quick let me put it this way final thought here i don't think it's a coincidence 
that three na- three guys show up with high in the list that are going the Nets, right? I don't think that's not a that's not an accident. I think that's by design. <laughs> if it permeates up to Sean Marks, he goes, "Oh, no kidding." Well, that's all right then. I think we can do wow. something. With it. Wow. Yeah, for sure. And, and good job by us. <laughs> not bad, eh, fellas? <laughs> hey, listen, a blind squirrel finds a nut. What do I know? Hey, boys, yeah. all right, let's play some basketball. Um, but it is also too, and, and just to that point around what the Nets are gonna do, and the thing is always why when we've done, as you mentioned over the years, where they where where fans have called for they need a center. And you keep saying, like, again, they just need to manufacture things. And this is a way that you can go about doing it. And I actually thought it was interesting that if you look at to extend it, because Baisley's not a guy you think about being in this center role, right? Simmons, you can think being in that role, certainly Claxton Baisley is there as well. But again, how many assignments do you want to take as opposed to being more out on the perimeter? You can also throw Dorian Finney-Smith into this, which I found to be very surprising when I looked over at uh, craftednba.com. Dorian Finney-Smith's defensive versatility is listed in the 99th percentile. And while you may think about him as not necessarily being an equal athletic comp to some of the other guys we're discussing, like a Nicholas Claxton, you can think about him back in the NBA playoffs when he took on the assignment of Joel Embiid. And you say, well, you're outsized, he has more weight than you, but positionally being able to anchor yourself and still make it, quote, by Embiid standards, difficult, that is also a version of versatility. So it's funny how I think Dorian Vinny Smith as a less athletic and getting older player is probably on that outside fringe of the NBA that is passing you by. Well, I do enough of the versatile pieces that you can actually use me in a traditional sense back there and then know I can go out of the wing. So you can throw in more than just one player here into this bag beyond Baisley and Simmons and Claxton. Dorian Finney-Smith represents that. And if you matriculate it down to the smaller positions, Mikhail Bridges, Cameron Johnson, like we've said this before, you're now creating a collection of guys that has this high-level versatility. Are there gaps? Are there going to be holes? Undoubtedly. Like there's going to be issues, and we'll talk about offensively here in a second. But just from a switchability and maybe most importantly, from a value asset standpoint, the Nets potentially have valuable assets that teams are going to be interested in as you work towards that trade deadline in the season. Yeah, and actually, you know, it's funny about this because actually this does wrap a little bit back to what, that's amazingly, sort of maybe by accident, it wraps a little bit back to what we were saying with with the FIBA stuff here. Because, um, and I think that's like, well, you know what? Okay, let, let, let me let, let's take one quick break here because, like, I think right after this, I'm gonna. I, I there's a way that, that you can kind of you can see the how these two things will crystallize a little 100%. bit with what the Nets are trying to create and sort of like what happens in this modern day of basketball, especially when you're in a rebuilding mode. We'll talk about that here in a second. Okay, so all I was gonna say on that other point that you made before about like sort of what the Nets are trying to do, two things that I think that they've tried to do, and this actually wraps in bef- into what the FIBA p- point was before, is that because the Nets don't have, because the Nets don't have like super dynamic playmakers that can kind of work with everybody outside of like bridges or whatever, right? At that point, it actually is pretty important for the team to have lots of interchangeable parts that are all sort of similar, right? Mm-hmm. Like because then you don't then you mitigate some of the problem areas you have like hey there, we don't have a Jalen Brunson or a Tyrese Halliburton or a Trey Young even right like these are the you know and I forget like the real the real super dar- superstars right I'm just talking about like like really good point guards like forget like Luca and stuff like this they don't even have anywhere close to guys like that so at that point 
you actually just have to have a lot of these like sort of versatile guys who do a little bit of everything and maybe you're master of none stuff, mm -hmm. but it's mostly because you don't have all the rest of those connection pieces. Cause like how, how good are these, how good is a big center going to be with a, about a, without a really good point guard? It's gonna be really tough. It's gonna be really tough. Right. right? Um, like, and so knowing that and sort of understanding that early at that point, populating the team with a bunch of just, sort of like amorphous wing types who are none of them are amazing themselves except for probably Mikhail, but who aren't totally deficient in other areas and they all can be swapped interchangeably for each other. I think the Nets are probably giving themselves the best chance to win rather than grabbing like maybe like one specialist, right? Like yeah. gone is Joe Harris only did one thing gone is Seth Curry only did one thing. Now you got guys who just do a bunch of different things with length. And I don't know, does that make sense? Like I think it, you can, it started crystallizing for me about what the best attempt here is at putting a best foot forward. And buddy, and that's that's why when we're doing rundowns, I, my wheels are always turning, baby. Now, do I articulate how these things connect? That's TBD, but ultimately we get there. It's a journey. And I, and I do agree with you, um, and it is funny, because to your point about like a Joe Harris or a Seth Curry, when the shot isn't falling, then what are you? Right. Yeah. Then, then you are not only a defensive liability, you're also a zero sum game on the offensive end where you actually come playoff time from a Joe Harris perspective, you start getting dared to shoot the ball. And this is why I think rounding out this discussion from what we see from McHale and Cam and then what these versatile defensive players represent. It's why I think about this rotation and I do start to I start to ask the question. It's like, what is then the best foot forward of all these versatile players? And in the short term, if you're talking about guys like that, I think that, and maybe I was being short-sighted around Dorian Finney-Smith and saying, yes, he'll go to the bench, but he'll also have a significantly reduced role. Maybe not, right? At least in the short term. Royce O'Neal is the other guy with a 97th percentile yeah. defensive versatility that fits into this. We already highlighted his three-point shooting. So it's this weird thing where you have, we know all these young players the Nets are taking a shot on, but some of the highest versatility guys that we have samples on are two players that were here, veterans in Dorian Finney-Smith and Royce O'Neal. We already know Mikhail Bridgen and Cameron Johnson are. And my question then became, it's like, what is the unlocker for these? If Ben Simmons is back, awesome. I actually do keep coming back to Dennis Smith Jr. and just thinking, for a guy that actually lacks some defensive versatility, great POA, but not going to be someone who switches onto a lot of assignments up the scale. I do wonder how large that role is going to get here. Because that was the indication when he signed. He signed for less money based on what the role was going to be. And I can see a world where all these different combinations, Dennis Smith Jr. might be as critical of a connector for them at the point guard spot as anything that they're going to put out there, Spencer Dinwiddie included. Yeah, um, and you make a great point. It's been, we've been talked about a little bit is that like the idea seems to be with DSJ that there was probably some promises made about what his role was going to be. Like if you take less money, I mean, at least that's what the report is. If you take less money to go to a place, you're really only doing it because you think the playing times be more available. Makes sense with Brooklyn. Like some of these other teams, like if you're a totally young team in a rebuilding mode, you probably have younger guys you want to play before him anyway. And if you're an older veteran team, it's unlikely he's a huge needle mover for those teams. So, I mean, Brooklyn is a good spot for this. And there's maybe not a lot of other teams like them right now. So it helps. But you're correct in that. I think we probably are going to see more than less of him, at least early on. And they probably just need it. Like all these guys that we mentioned, they don't have tons of guys who can dribble, <laughs> right? Like they just, that's not like dribbling is not their core skill. 
and his is it sounds really reductive but like that is he does have that skill and they're probably going to need it at more times than not and remember specifically think about a guy like Baisley. he has some he has on ball ability for his size and his measurables right so you can think about using him in a different way if you're talking about him and dorian finney smith well there's more athleticism on the offensive end more versatility offensively for a Baisley. and the last point that i think to round this out when we talk about the rotation in this discussion I keep do coming back to you talk about guys weren't into the mix here. Cam Thomas needing to be a part of that. Okay, great. Lonnie Walker keeps feeling like a safety valve here and less of like a guarantee to be something. I could be proven wrong on that. But we also talked about uh, Dayron Sharp yesterday. And on the one hand, he does certain things at a very elite level. But the other hand, which we alluded to was, but he ain't the version of these guys. Yeah. And I, I just keep wondering about how many times will Dayron be out there and you go to make the switch, maybe to Dennis Smith Jr., to whoever it may be, and you go, well, then Dayron has to come out, right? Most yeah. of these players now on this roster, you say, whatever, let's get five guys out there and they'll kind of sort these things out. The players that don't have that versatility, I, it looks like to me, maybe earlier than later, we're going to see they start to get phased out of the operation in Brooklyn. I, I think that's totally correct. I, I think that that was why it was really actually, I think we said it, it was hard to make a strong case for Dayron with this team, with this team, right? Like yeah. it was, it was why we specifically said, Hey, yeah, you, you have Harden out here. Great. Like play him a lot, right? In the offense. So like that will probably work, but it's just, it just, when you, when you put it, when you frame it, like you have in this one, it, it frames not great for him. So I'm, I'm in total agreement there. Yep. So it becomes interesting and yesterday, not to retread yesterday, but Doug went, you went on the side of Darius Baisley being a guy that you think has the upside and can find a role. If you throw in that that Sharp is going away, then I think Trendon Watford becomes equally as intriguing. Now, the, the funny thing is now, go back to the top, Mikhail Bridges, Cameron Johnson, 27 years old, 28 years, you know, going to the prime of their careers here. What is the right combination to make sure that on night in, night out basis, you're providing them the consistency behind them? And that still, to me, becomes the question mark here with these young players that have a lot of upside, striking that balance is what's fascinating. How many nights over the first month of the season will we get real sample sizes on Cam Thomas, on Darius Baisley, on Trendon Watford, on Dayron Sharp, on Dorian Finney-Smith, on Royce O'Neal, all these different combinations, and then settle on what it should be? Because I think the only worst-case scenario for me in getting these versatile players is not refining it. If the Nets go out with this deep roster and night in, night out, it's just kind of a stick effort as opposed to really seeing where it should be. That's where I, we could be a month in, two months in, going to the deadline and not knowing. Can we trade Royce O'Neal? I don't know. We didn't play player X enough, right? Is Dorian Finney-Smith worth keeping? Hard to say. We only gave Baisley an average of six minutes a night, right? Like So that's the only holdback here, and you'd like to think, that things like basketball index and these stats are obviously front and center in front of Jacques Vaughn, in front of Sean Marks, and they know one of these players is going to rise to the top and potentially earn more significant minutes than you or I would have thought at the time of these pickups and then by the time we get to the season. like there's a, there, Dennis Smith Jr. could be a 15-minute to 20-minute-a-night guy when it's all said and done here. Maybe we didn't realize it. And then Baisley or Watford, et cetera. Somebody has to pick up these shares. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. I mean, it's going to be one of the great subplots for the early season for the Nets is like who, how, and I mean, actually, it's always can't wait even for preseason to have some of this flesh out too. Um, and a guy, by the way, another guy that fits this mold, the, the uh, mobile big mold perfectly mm. is Noah, Noah Clowney too. We didn't even mention him, but like if you're, if you're thinking about why they probably ended up drafting him, if this was the thought process, 
Right. And these other guys weren't, again, like we said, happy accidents that they all showed up. Who was one of the best mobile, projected to be one of the best mobile big defenders in the whole draft? And it was Clowney. <laughs> right. Like, and so I, I think that there, I think that those things just aren't accidents. Okay. We are going to get out of here. Make sure you subscribe over to Locked On Nets over on YouTube, really close to 6,000 uh, subscribers. So get in there, be part of the group to get us up and over 6,000 well in advance of the season. You can subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast as well, free on both platforms. And it's the easiest way to help us continue growing. The theater of my mind has seating capacity of just one. And it's sold out for all performances. Why that, you guessed it, is Henry Winkler. Oh, the Fonz, baby. We'll be back. One of the all-time great poets. We'll be back again tomorrow talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball.